Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast. It's Wednesday, September the 21st, and you're very welcome to the weekly politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me in studio today, the deputy leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou MacDonald, Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on justice and equality, Jim O'Callaghan, and our own deputy political editor, Pat Leahy. We wanted to discuss the very different approaches which our two largest opposition parties are taking to the current government in the run-up to the first budget. But first, Mary Lou, I have to ask you about your party leader, Gerry Adams, who features on the front page of the Irish Times this morning because of this BBC Northern Ireland spotlight programme on the murder of Dem- Donaldson. The allegation was made by an anonymous alleged former British agent that the killing had been ordered by Mr Adams following pressure from Thomas Slab Murphy who's currently serving a jail sentence for a tax evasion. Um, just to say, Gerry Adams' solicitor has already issued a strong statement categorically rejecting the allegations but it can't be a welcome news story for you. I don't think it's a welcome news story for anybody. It's also a fairly extraordinary news story in that you have uh, an anonymous, self-proclaimed British intelligence agent making an unsubstantiated allegation on what I understand is an unsubstantiated hunch. So uh, it really seems to me to be a ball of smoke. Of course, the allegation in and of itself is extremely serious. Uh, Jerry has issued a statement through his solicitor. He's denied the unsubstantiated allegation made by an anonymous person uh, absolutely and categorically. Uh, But of course, uh, once something like this is broadcast, it features then as uh, banner headlines in the newspapers, of course, the detail of the person making the allegation being anonymous, unknown, um, it seems... Uh, 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 an uh, an informant for for the British system on the basis of unsubstantiated hunches uh, in my mind doesn't amount to a whole lot but I I wouldn't play down for a a second politically the significance of that allegation being made I wouldn't play down either I'm sure the effect that this has on the family of uh, Dennis Donaldson I mean there's been uh, an investigation now under the auspices of Angarda Siakana for 10 years. Uh, dissident Republicans claimed this uh, killing. Um, Although it's it, since been, I think, accepted that, that the real IRA, the dissident Republicans, didn't carry out that killing. Well, I don't know. I, I can I can only say that it's for Angarda Siakana to investigate the matter and to bring the perpetrators to justice. But as to the spotlight story, you know, it's very, very difficult when you have anonymous sources making unsubstantiated uh, allegations. Jerry has issued the statement through his solicitor and I think that is uh, the appropriate response from him at this time. Pat, these allegations date back to a particularly sharp point in the in the in the long peace process, a point when the Stormont um, the Stormont arrangements collapsed for a while because of allegations of things that were happening behind the scenes in Stormont and the unmasking of Dennis Donaldson as a as a British agent. It, just that moment where, where where politics and paramilitarism and the kind of the the, the remains of the troubles sort of collided with each other. And it, it, to reiterate my my point to Mary Lou, it, it can't be good for Sinn Fein at this point, ten years on, for all this stuff to be coming up. And out again. Well, no, I mean, I suppose it's it's not good for Sinn Féin. Um, now, what Mary Lou says is, uh, is 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 true, of course, about the allegations being unsubstantiated, uh, and uh, you know, there's no there's no denying that. I watched the the program last night, and I sort of had a feeling watching it that there was an awful lot more information that either Spotlight had but felt it couldn't broadcast or there's certainly much more to this story. The story was, uh, though compelling, I felt kind of slightly incomplete. I, I think there's two things worth saying uh, uh, about it this morning. It's um, it's clear, albeit that the source was anonymous, the allegations unsubstantiated. It's clear that these people exist. There were... Um, 
you know, informers in the Republican movement throughout lots the of, IRA and lots Sinn Féin. Of and that was points, one of the it? most startling things I thought about the uh, about the program was the uh, the claim that and and substantiated by um, uh, by Dennis Bradley, who has looked at uh, secret documents in uh, in London, and you know, D- Dennis Bradley is hardly you know an uh, an agent of the the British in uh, in this, that there was 800 informers uh, throughout the Republican movement in the North. Now, a senior police officer subsequently said that he thought that um, number was more likely to be confined to Belfast, which is an astonishing statistic when you think of it. But either way, there um, uh, there's reason to think that the Republican movement was infiltrated to a large degree uh, by, uh, by informers. And once you accept that such people existed, and it's beyond doubt that whatever the exact number, it's beyond doubt that um, uh, that they did, then I, I, I guess this is how you would expect them to come forward. You would expect them to be cloaked in anonymity and their allegations uh, or their information to be uh, initially at least uh, unsubstantiated. So the fact that it is an anonymous source and the allegation is uns- unsubstantiated is to a degree what uh, what you would expect. Just be it clear for that listeners, it's not true, for listeners who didn't see the programme. The allegation is that, um, that, that this killing was carried out by the IRA and that it must have been ordered by Gerry Adams because such acts can, it, could was, not take place. That it relations. was sanctioned by Gerry Adams mm. on the request of uh, Slab Murphy, um, the IRA commander from South Armagh, now who is in um, uh, in jail, serving time for uh, for uh, tax evasion, I think. And the other thing to say uh, about it is that while uh, Mr. Adams has, of course, denied it as he's consistently uh, denied similar allegations uh, in in the past, I, I think that politically that is a weak card because. Uh, Mr. Adams also claims that he was not uh, in a position of leadership uh, in the IRAs consistently claimed that. And to put it no more strongly than this, that is not a claim that is widely believed. uh, By the Irish uh, people. By the Irish people, I think. In fact, I really don't think it's actually believed by uh, many people in Sinn Féin either, even though uh, the politics uh, demands that they must must claim to believe it. But I suppose the real politic of this, Jim, is that I was looking at an article on Slugger O'Toole's website there this morning. It often gives a good perspective on the Northern Ireland situation and was really saying that what this illustrates is how impossible it would ever be to have the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission, South African style, which some people have suggested Northern Ireland means, because there are so many secrets and there is so many dark stories and there are so many episodes of malfeasance by all sides, including the British state and probably the Irish state too. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, First of all, I didn't see the Spotlight programme, but it should be pointed out, Spotlight is a very respected uh, programme. It does excellent investigative journalism. In fact, the last time the doll sat, Gerry Adams stood up in the doll and referred to the Spotlight programme, which has done an excellent piece of journalism in respect of NAMA and allegations being made against individuals in Northern Ireland. Ultimately, from our point of view here, a man was murdered uh, in 10 years ago in this country. And anyone who has any information in respect of his murder needs to bring that information to the attention of Angarda Siakana. Now, let's be straight about this. When you're dealing with murders uh, involving loyalists or Republican paramilitaries in Northern Ireland, it is extremely difficult to get convictions, irrespective of whether or not you have a jury or, or a special criminal court. There is a problem in people coming forward with information. But to raise the bigger point that you have raised, you, like I think we need to, I'm not making a political point here, but terrible things were done in this island between uh, 1968 and uh, 2006 and there is fault on both sides there is significant fault on the part of the British state which colluded with loyalists there is also significant fault on the part of Republican political leaders who allowed this murder to continue for so long on this island it's the worst thing that happened to this island in many many years as a Republican I, I, you know, I grieve over it because it put back the cause of Irish republicanism by so many years. We're supposed to be about trying to unite two communities on a part of this island where they were not united. And instead, the violence has divided them. And the British state played a role in that. But also the republican movement played a role in that. And I just think as time goes on, 
you know, it's more and more difficult to deal with that. I don't think there's any reality to a truth and reconciliation uh, inquiry. I just think there's too much murky history in the past there, too much murky history on the part of the British state's involvement. They infil- infiltrated the provisional IRA to an astonishing extent and too much murky business on the part of the Republican movement. Can I just take some of those points? Because this is Jim has invited a much bigger uh, political discussion around what happened in the North and why. And was it simply down to Republican malice and Republican violence that that, that the troubles uh, went along? To be fair, I don't think think he said that. that Uh, The reality is, the reality is, and I'm saying this as a Dublin woman, uh, for people who grew up in the North, who were born into a grossly dysfunctional, discriminatory, single-party regime, um, that their experience, Jim, is a very different experience to mine and indeed to yours. Does that justify and things happened. People? Listen, I never just... I prefer, I, if, if I had the hand to write history, Jim, if I had that power, I would write our history very, very differently, going all the way back to partition. But that's not how it happened. We could, we could debate that. It's beyond probably the scope of this programme. But I don't want to make this point. I think it is very, very dangerous for people to be saying, well, we can't get to truth, recovery and reconciliation because it's too messy and it's too murky. Believe it or not, um, about what a year and a half, two years ago, we were within an ace of agreeing with unionism, a truth recovery process between Republicans, unionists and, and so on. And then in steps uh, the British state with its claims of national security. And the British state has very, very cynically used this uh, cloak to frustrate efforts to get at the truth and truth recovery. And uh, some people may may question us on this issue. Can I say very clearly, it is very, very important that Republicans are engaged in that process when it's established. I will not accept defeat on that matter. I think it's far too important for far too many families, victims sometimes they're referred to, survivors of the conflict to simply say, well, that can't happen. The politics of saying that can't happen ultimately is to get the British state in particular off the hook. And can I say again, just in terms of the context of the Spotlight programme, I'm not surprised to hear that there were informants within the IRA. I I think only the most naive person could imagine that there wouldn't be over such a protracted length of conflict. Of course that happened. And that's not a new phenomenon to to that uh, phase of conflict. But I would uh, also say, in respect to Spotlight, and Jim talks about the Miskelly uh, revelations around NAMA and Mr. Kushnahan and so on, I suppose the difference there is you have a known source who provided chapter and verse uh, in filmed documentary evidence of, of money being handed over in the car park or outside City Hospital in Belfast. What we have here is a very different thing It's an anonymous person who says they were an informant and therefore party to a strategy of whatever sort of of the British state. They don't even in the programme try to substantiate what they say is a feeling or an understanding that they had. Now, I think if you want to be fair and you want to be just in in such a serious allegation, you have to recognise that that's actually what the story uh, is And things beyond that, you can say, well, there's a context to this and there's a context around Sinn Féin or Republicans. Well, that's fair enough. There's a context also around the RUC, the British Army. There's a context around the same characters who called the people of Derry liars in respect of Bloody Sunday, who continue to collude to keep the truth away from the public gaze in respect of Dublin and Monaghan and Pat Finucane and Eddie Fullerton. But isn't there, and, isn't there a truth and, also and in the in the same Slugger O'Toole article, uh, Mary Lou, that, that the point was made that uh, on the British side there is documentation. There has been an inquiry into, into Bloody Sunday which did achieve some form of resolution in arriving finally, incredibly belatedly, at the truth about that. But in the case of the actions carried out by paramilitaries, be they on the Republican or, or the Loyalist side, there is no paper trail, there is no record. And as Pat said earlier, you know, the fact that Jerry Adams continues to insist he was never a member of the IRA is a sort of indicative of the fact that, you know, people are being loose with the truth would be a very mild way of putting it. Well, of course, the, the records um, held by the state are entirely different to any armed group. Of, I mean, that goes without saying. But if you look, for instance, at Smithwick, which was a, an All-Ireland uh, inquiry, I mean, people came forward there. 
uh, that worked. I, I just refused to give up uh, the ghost uh, in respect of dealing with all these matters in the past, not least because in the absence of dealing with them, they inevitably, if you like, and, and pardon the pun, bleed into uh, the politics of, of, of the here and the here and now. So I, I have, I personally have no fear of such a process. We found it very, very frustrating that the British were so insistent that their national security concerns would trump all else. And as I say, we were within a hair's breadth of agreeing uh, these mechanisms and pro processes with unionism, agreeing that in the North. Do you have a final word on yeah, this? Can I just say, like, I'm not in the business of here trying to make political points against Sinn Féin or Gerry Adams. They're very serious allegations made against them. The general point I was making is that the British security services and the Republican movement in terms of its paramilitary wing have a reprehensible record in what happened in Northern Ireland for 25 or 30 years. They are now both deeply embarrassed by the roles they played in unjustified murders. We are not going to get the truth out of the British state and nor are we going to get the truth out of the IRA as to its role. They regard it as an embarrassment. They both recognise that what went on was deeply wrong and there's no way they're going to face up to the past. Can and of course, Jim, there are other parties that you failed to mention, but let's mention them for the purposes of completeness. And that would be the loyalist uh, paramilitaries. But that's why I mentioned the, the British state. The, the unionist uh, political establishment. But they're, they're very much arm's length, if you like. They're the proxies uh, for the state. And but the Irish state. And, and, and the you Irish never, state. You never look at any fault on the part of the Republican movement. I'm trying oh, to I have no difficulty looking at I'm trying, I'm trying to look at this broadly. There was huge fault on behalf of the British state in terms of its security services. Reprehensible. Their failure and their crime was that they colluded with loyalist paramilitaries. British inquiry have established that. The Stevens report has says the British state colluded in the murder of Pat Finucane. We know that. But you never recognise the reprehensible behaviour on the part of the provisional IRA. They killed Irish people because they were Protestants. Now that was a denial of the whole principle of what it is to be an Irish Republican and it damaged this state, this nation irreparably. The nature of the conflict in the North I will, I will absolutely readily state had a, a religious uh, complexion to it, of course, because that was the the essential division at the basis upon which the Boundary Commission decided how, where to partition Ireland. So, of course, religion was a factor. But the issues at play in the north of Ireland, that was that was a colonial conflict and a colonial clash. And for a minute, so is your clear, Jim, I don't for a second glory in, in what happened and the suffering and the pain that were endured on all sides. And I recognise that wrong things were done, terrible things were done by Republicans. I've no hang up uh, in saying that. But m my point uh, is simply this, taking all of that in the round, don't tell me that we can simply say it's too murky, it's too messy, we can't get to the bottom of it on the one hand. And then on the other hand, the media treatment some often of these matters is a, 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 almost a, a solitary and exclusive focus on the Republican side, if you wish. And then stories such as this that came out in Spotlight. And Spotlight are a great programme and they're entitled to, to do their journalism. But you've asked me about the allegation and I'm simply pointing out anonymous, unsubstantiated, on the basis of a feeling or an understanding or a hunch unsubstantiated also by the person who participated in the programme. Fair enough. And I think both Pat and I feel we're not going to arrive at an epistemological analysis of the, of the northern conflict, which everybody's going to agree, agree, agree about around the station. So We're not so going to do that. Anyway. Table. We're definitely not going to do that. Thanks, thanks Pat. So we're going to move on to, um, um, to something else sublime, with the Fianna Fáil thinking, um, Jim McCallum. I was looking at photographs. You all look very pleased with yourselves. I, I didn't see any of the photographs, to be honest with you, uh, Hugh. Yes, he did. He was pouring over I, them this I, I, morning. <laughs> I don't like looking at photographs of myself anywhere, to be honest. Um, it was a very good uh, thinking. It was the first time I've been at a Fianna Fáil thinking as a TD. Uh, obviously, there's lots of new TDs we got elected. We had a serious crisis between 2011 and uh, 2016, Fianna Fáil. There was no doubt people thought we were on the way out. We could have been wiped out. That's why the last election was so important to us. We got back into 44 seats. We moved up from 20 seats to 44 seats. And we got lots of new, uh, different types of TDs elected. So, you know, people are positive about the fact that there's a future for Fianna Fáil. Uh, there's still a huge amount of work to be done there. Uh, I think Michal Martin has transformed the party. 
you know, I'm not prepared. I'm happy to recognise there were failings in Fianna Fáil in the past. And in terms of we've now become, I think, a humbler party. We listen to people. We had very good presentations from the, uh, Catherine Kenny from the Simon community. We had very good presentations in respect of Brexit. But there are huge challenges facing not just Fianna Fáil, but this country. And I think we're behaving responsibly. And I think the public a, see that. A humble party, but also, Pat, a sort of a, a, an astute party. There's some kind of fancy footwork going on there at the moment around issues, everything from water charges to how the budget's going to be approached. Listening to spokespeople this week talking about, you know, looking forward to the next three budgets, which presumably, presumably uh, Fianna Fáil will be riding shotgun on each one of them right through to 2018. Yeah, I have the photograph uh, here. Jim may not want to look at it. Perhaps uh, part of the reason why uh, he doesn't like looking at photos of himself is he always gets put in the back row. Uh, <laughs> he's so tall. He's six yeah. foot eleven. Uh, um, but, uh, uh, yep, uh, Fianna Fáil looks fairly pleased with itself. Um, Dan and Carlo, it's had that... Um, it's had that sort of sense, I think, since uh, since the election and the construction of the government. Um, Is all we're reporting and this morning of light because you know during the course of the last government there were there were occasional grumblings and mumblings of discontent against. the Oh, leader. there were more than occasional yeah. grumblings. There was quite regular grumblings that the party was in the doldrums, that um, you know, Martin was taking it nowhere, that it was going to that the party would never recover, uh, and uh, and so on. Those turned out to be uh, those 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 expectations turned out to be wrong i think um the the there is a slight conundrum for Fianna Fáil at the moment. It's it's not particularly the original thing to say that it has to work out this uh, in these new arrangements its role half in opposition, half in government. And like everybody else with these novel arrangements in Parliament with the minority government, it's sort of feeling its way into that. The budget process that we're now uh, engaged on is one of the most intensely political times of the year. It's the biggest political and policy-making exercise that any government uh, undertakes in the course of a year. And despite an awful lot of uh, talk um, after the government was formed about reforming the budget process, that either hasn't come to pass or hasn't come to pass in a sufficiently advanced state because of uh, the long time it took to uh, to form the government because of the failure as of yet um, uh, to set up an independent budget scrutiny office for the Oireachtas to input and into the uh, in, in the process and so forth. So Fianna Fáil is now trying to work out how it contributes to the budget process while still technically being part of the opposition. And it has that to work process out right is, now because it's the next it's the next two and a half it three takes weeks. Place on, on October the eleventh, which is is it is it this day three weeks? And so so what I wonder is and I'll I'll ask our guests about this in a moment, is that the traditional theatre of the budget with the opposition spokesperson and Michael McGrath will stand up and what will be his posture and how will his posture and bluster, because there's always a bit of that, compare with that of Pierce Doherty, the two the two rival opposition parties we have here. One of which, each of which will be claiming to be the real opposition, I suppose. Well, I suppose there will be one big difference between uh, the, the, the position uh, of Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin is that Fianna Fáil will have had an input into what Michael Noonan and Pascal Donoghue stand up Which makes to, it a little to difficult to, it's to, not to, going to, to, be to cry a it as a disaster. No, I suspect what they will do is they will disagree with some things and they will say, but, uh, you know, we've got these, uh, uh, we've got a number of things that we're happy with in this budget and on balance we can perhaps not vote for it, but we can, uh, we can abstain. Now, if Fianna Fáil isn't in a position to do that, then the government will fall. And there will be a general election because a government that can't pass a budget uh, will uh, will fall. Votes of uh, votes on money bills, uh, as the budget is, is a matter of uh, confidence, and that's explicitly recognised in the supply and confidence arrangement that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have agreed. So my expectation is that they will work out uh, they will work out something over the coming weeks that is enough for Fianna Fáil uh, to let it pass. From Pierre Stoherty, you will get the traditional, this is the worst outrage that has ever been perpetrated. And this is a great opportunity for Sinn Féin, isn't it, Mary Lou? For the, for the first time, Sinn Féin are the opposition party, effectively. Well, we are the opposition party. I mean, Fianna Fáil, to all intents and purposes, are in government, albeit at a remove. And actually, the main reason why Fianna Fáil won't have to wrestle too long and hard with their collective conscience over this budget, whatever is in it, 
is because actually there isn't a whole pile of difference between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. They're essentially coming from the one place. Now, I don't envisage Pierce getting to his feet and decrying this as the worst outrage in the history of humankind, as Pat has uh, yeah, he may, suggested. He may signal that there have been one he's, or two he's, worse he's ra- outrages. He's rather more, uh, he, up there he's rather more thoughtful and, uh, dare I say it, more articulate uh, than that. No offence to you. But... That's that's been the thing since we we went since this government and this confidence and supply arrangement got put together. The fiction has been that we're into a new political dispensation. This is now the this is the propaganda uh, line. The view, from my perspective on the inside, that it's nothing of the sort. Actually, it is an arrangement between two very like-minded parties to add in the one hand to control the government benches and to make an attempt, Maria, to control the opposition benches and therefore, you know, control the political narrative, dialogue, exchanges and to see off uh, all other comers. Now, in, in a purely political sense, people might say, well, fair enough. That That's a, a, a fair enough thing to do, a fair enough... Uh, uh, move by by Fianna Fáil. Oh, the two but, largest but, parties in the country, with the support of a number of independents. Yes. Who so, are also so, the, so the question then arises: when when the time uh, came around, how it was that they couldn't see their way to just doing the straightforward thing and sitting together on on the government benches? You see, they want to have it kind of every way. And if I were to make a prediction, <laughs> but I fairness, would predict. Fairness, I would Mary predict Luke, Sinn Féin kind of wanted to have it every, every way, way as well yeah. because you were at that stage. While much of what you say, I think, about the rest arrangement is correct. At that time, you were saying a you know a Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael led government would be a disaster for the country. So why don't they both get into government together and do precisely that? Absolutely. Well, listen, I I I don't think any listener is going to be surprised to hear that my view is that a Fianna Fáil or a Fine Gael led government is not good for the country. That that's my view. If if, why why would I be sitting here doing this podcast with you if I had a, a different view to that? But you've asked about the budget. We've set out our priorities in terms of investment in infrastructure, in terms of public services. There is absolutely no doubt that uh, low and middle income families need a break. There, many of them, despite the, the the word that the recession is over, people are still struggling. And do you that accept needs the same fiscal parameters as a beginning? Yes, in other we'll, words, there is essentially this part of one billion. We we will work with it now. We're we're not we're not fans, are we, of uh, the fiscal rules and all of that? But we accept and we recognise, and our pre-budget submission will accept those as as a reality. That's what the government is going to operate within. So the question is, what are the choices then that you make within those parameters? Michael Noonan has backed off. The, the craziness that was a suggestion of abolition of the USC uh, that simply would not be possible and it would not be it would not be uh, a responsible uh, or a, indeed a, a progressive thing to do that said people need relief so we we are still uh, insistent on the matter of the abolition of water charges can I welcome Jim O'Callaghan and his Fianna Fáil flip-flopping if friends if I can get a word yeah, to, to, to that. That. Jim we'll give you plenty uh, of time don't worry it's and, the joys of a podcast and, and indeed uh, on the issue of the tax on the family home and we'll also have proposals for pensioners for people who are struggling with ch- childcare uh, costs and so on so that's the kind of package that we're going to present okay. Jim thank you very much um, 500,000 people voted for Fianna Fáil before the last general election. They voted for us based on what we put into our manifesto. Although 500,000 people voted for us, we only got 44 seats. We spent weeks trying to persuade uh, other parties and other independents to try to put Michal Martin uh, in as Taoiseach so we could have a Fianna Fáil-led administration. The reason we wanted that is we thought that the Irish people responded more to the fairness that was in the Fianna Fáil manifesto. I was part of the negotiation team. We negotiated extensively with independents and some parties. Sinn Féin decided they didn't want to be part of that negotiating process. As a result, the people who were representing presented by Sinn Féin, didn't get any say in the election and establishment of a new government. We did something different. When we realised that we weren't going to be able to get Michal Martin elected as Taoiseach, we entered into negotiations with Fine Gael. We were very clear from the outset that we weren't going to go into government with Fine Gael, notwithstanding the hopes of Sinn Féin and others that we would do so. The reason we weren't going to go in is we'd given a manifesto commitment that we would not do so. What we wanted to achieve in the Confidence and Supply Agreement was to try to ensure that the Fine Gael-led government that was going to assume power 
would be fairer than the previous Fine Gael Labour government, particularly in the area of taxation and public services. We managed to get a reversal of the Fine Gael policy. We managed to get uh, an agreement by them that there would be a two-to-one ratio in favour of public services as opposed to taxation. That was a major significant achievement by Fianna Fáil and it's for the benefit of the people in this country. And what we managed to do is that we now have a situation where there's this billion pocket available. 670 million is going to be spent on improving public services and there'll be 330 million in respect of tax cuts and we also emphasise that any tax cuts in respect of the USC should be for low and middle earners. Why are earners. tax cuts on the USC? I mean a lot of the research on the USC which is supposed to be this mo- the, you know, the most hated tax in Ireland, maybe it is for, for, for all I know show that in many ways it's one of the more progressive taxes because people who earn a lot of money yeah. find it more difficult to evade than, than, than other forms of taxation and that it's also in, in some senses better because there's a, there's a broader contribution from across the whole of society and after the crash the general view was that one of the difficulties was that that there wasn't that that our tax base was 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 too narrow so what's the problem with USC certainly in, in, in terms of your former point about it being fairer cuz high earners can't get out of it. I absolutely agree with you. And for that reason, we have emphasised that any cuts in respect of the USC should be for low and middle earners. In respect of your uh, other point about the USC, that it's good that every person makes a contribution, that was the initial assessment of it. But we see even from the report that I just said that low earners do make a contribution to our tax system. I think it is unfair to not recognise... Proportionately, proportionately considerably lower than the, than the European average. I know. And but there, there's a number of... You can have all sorts of statistics here, about that. You could say somebody on 18,000 uh, only pays uh, 600 euro, which is the case, whereas somebody on you know, 5 million or something pays 50%. Like, no, but, still no but the reality the is that people in the lower deciles of... I mean, this, this, this report from the Institute of Taxation yesterday, people in the lower deciles actually pay less income tax in Ireland than they do in Europe. European countries. There are counter-arguments that they get yeah. better services in those European countries and there's a, oh, there's a number, that, that there is, are a number that of That is other correct. Things, People, yeah. lower earners do pay less, but the USC has been this uh, imposition put upon low earners. They already pay tax. It's an imposition that's put on them. And if there's going to be a removal of USC, it should concentrate on low and middle earners. That's what we've sought to achieve. So when the budget comes, you know, like there's all sorts of requests that different Fianna Fáil spokespersons would like to see as the justice spokesperson. I'd like to see, you know, 17.4 million spent on getting 800 more Gardaí. I'd like to see 1.2 million on getting 500 more Garda reserves. And I'd like to see 40 million, and I'm sure Mary uh, Lou would agree with this, kept to be used on Garda overtime, which was used in 2016. We need that maintained in 2017. But I suppose the issue, the debate that you have here, it epitomises the response and the distinction between Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil. We got votes from 500,000 people. We wanted to give them value for their vote. We tried to affect change in the government's policy through negotiation. Sinn Féin got lots of votes as well, but the people who voted for them got nothing as a result of Sinn Féin's election. Well, whatever about that point, can I come back to some nitty-gritty about numbers again? Jim is talking about 670 million to go into expenditure of one form or another. Is Sinn Féin talking about more than that, a larger proportion of, of the 1 billion which is available, Mary Lou? So how well, much, if any, goes to reductions in tax of any sort? There will be some reductions in tax, including in terms of the USC, but we have very much focused our efforts on the lowest rung of earners. I just want to make a point to you in, in respect of the taxation report, because I was reading the coverage on it and who pays what and in what proportions. I think it's a mistake to focus on tax just in respect of income tax. 30% of taxation, I think, that comes into the exchequer comes from in the form of VAT. And we know that people on lower incomes um, spend more proportionally uh, of their income just in outgoings. Low income people spend their money, sure. higher earners uh, hold on to it. Because I, I just think it's it's dangerous when, and, and the debate around taxation and taxation justice and equity has to be had. But very often the impression is given that people on low incomes are people who are on social welfare payments pay no tax at all. I suppose the broader not, argument just, not true. just on taxation was also that every year in these budgets it gets tinkered with around the edges and one bit or another and you know and, and as a result it gets more and more complex and yeah. also has more and more loopholes for people to avoid things yes. and general generally unsatisfactory system. Yes, and I think that is fair. And I think there is an argument, for instance, uh, in terms of the point at which people start paying the higher taxation uh, rate. I think all of that needs to be uh, considered. It's not going to happen in one uh, in one fell swoop, in one budget. Our focus is very much on 
the issues of investment in public services and investment in infrastructure. So we're completing our figures. I'm not going to give you all the, the detail. It doesn't fall to me. It'll fall to Pierce uh, to present uh, all of that. But that's the that's the the thrust of it. We do also want to see an increase in the minimum wage um, by about 50 cents up to 9.65. For the squeezed middle, that was the focus of the taxation debate certainly yesterday uh, in the media, we remain convinced that charges like water charges, charges like a tax on the family home, particularly at a time of a housing shortage uh, and uh, inflation in the market prices going up, is a real, real issue for precisely that segment. And there is the scope in this budget to abolish both of those. And we think that that should happen. We'll be bringing forward... Uh, to abolish... The, water charges yeah. and, and the, the family home tax. So On everybody? Yes, for everybody. I think I had your party leader here at one point and I said, so that means that Bono shouldn't pay... You know, a few grand no, a year on his palatial Bono, 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 it's quite modest, actually. <laughs> Bono, well, I, I, I have no idea what his, what his home is like, and not much interest, quite frankly. But Bono, like everybody else, people who are, who accumulate great wealth, people who have very high incomes, should pay their fair whack through things that are genuinely wealth taxes and through a progressive income tax. So, is Sinn Féin uh, proposing the introduction of a wealth tax at this budget? Well, we've had, that's long-standing party policy. In the last uh, pre-budget submission and the one I think beforehand, we argued for the, the monies that would accrue from that to be, if you like, used for a separate fund. So it wasn't for current spending, but for things like investment in infrastructure and housing and so on. And yes, we think that's something that should happen. Pat, listen to this and listen to Mary Lou welcoming, uh, welcoming Fianna Fáil on board at the abolition of water charges. Our, um, our senior colleague Stephen Collins was suggesting uh, a couple of days ago that, that uh, Fianna Fáil's conversion to a full abolition of water charges represented a return to the bad old days of Fianna Fáil to some extent. Yes, yeah, I read, uh, I read the piece and it's certainly, uh, it, it's certainly the case that uh, the party's response to the water charges thing seems to be driven at least in part by the public um, uh, public unpopularity of those charges in a way that's uh, that's not surprising but it's also emblematic of the tightrope that the party is walking between its position in government and uh, and out of government. I find the party's position on water charges somewhat confusing and Pete Kelly's writing about it in uh, this morning's paper uh, again that um, while uh, I had understood initially Fianna Fáil's position on water charges to be that they were uh, suspended for the interim and would not come back for at least five years of this stall or however la- long this stall um, uh, this stall lasts. Uh, last week, in its submission to uh, the Water Charges Commission, Fianna Fáil said that it was in favour of uh, uh, abolishing water charges completely. There seems to be some suggestion now that they could possibly come back at some stage in the future when the water infrastructure is uh, is sufficiently mended to make charges a more well, given, palatable given, given that the previous commitment, um, Jim, was for suspension, as Pat says, effectively for, for five years for, for the lifetime of this government, should it, should it last five years, which is probably unlikely. And I was listening to Barry Cowan, and he was essentially saying that abolition meant, well, that just means there'll be no water charges for the next five years. So is it purely a matter of semantics? No, I think we need to go back to what Fianna Fáil promised in its manifesto. Page 36 of our manifesto, we said we'd scrap water charges. Page 38, we said we'd end the water charges regime. That's what we said to the Irish people. When we went into talks with Fine Gael, we tried to get them to recognise that the water charging system they had introduced was dead. They didn't face up to that. They wanted to go through... Now, hold on, no. I thought, just, we, I thought no, no, so. On, why on am the I the point. only person he interrupted? Scrapped, Hugh, you're the chairperson. Why am I the only person? He said he would scrap water charges for five years. Okay, can I, Jim, as I was saying before I was really interrupted, the Fianna Fáil manifesto, which is the manifesto setting out what we will do if we get into government, said in February that we would scrap water charges, we would end the water charging regime. That was the policy. We then went into talks with Fine Gael. They wouldn't agree to it. We managed to agree a mechanism which we believe, if people follow the route lined out by Fianna Fáil, will lead to the end of water charges. And that route is there's a commission set up. It'll then go to the Oireachtas uh, Committee to discuss the commission's report. But ultimately, and most importantly, 
a vote on the, of the Dáil will decide whether or not there's to be an end to water charges. But people must recognise, and Sinn Féin are great at uh, issuing motions and referring to marches, the only way we can get rid of water charges is through the introduction of legislation to repeal the water charging regime. That is a money bill. The only person in Dáil Heron can do that is a government minister or a government TD. Opposition persons cannot put forward money bills. And therefore, when Sinn Féin say we're putting down a motion, it's meaningless. It's not going to achieve anything. We have set out a route, and I suppose it does, again, distinguish the differences between the two parties. We have a method whereby we believe we will get to the abolition of water charges, whereas Sinn Féin have a slogan. Well, listen, it, it certainly does highlight very dramatically the differences between us because... The fault line in your in your logic, Jim, is that you said that you would you're quite right to cite your manifesto that you would scrap the charges. You then moved from a position of scrapping to suspending. You then cling on uh, to the to the line of argument that the government weren't for doing it, despite the fact that in the Dáil at the moment there is a majority for the scrapping of the charges. Now in any planet, particularly in our new politics, quote unquote, is anybody seriously suggesting that in circumstances whereby a majority vote of the Dáil, it is the stated and voted wishes of the members of the Dáil elected by the people to scrap these charges, that any government that wishes to remain in government will simply toddle on and do their own thing. That's not a credible argument. The truth is that Fianna Fáil were hedging their bets on this issue, watching to see which way the wind would blow. And I, I rather suspect that they hoped... But Sinn Féin haven't been entirely... That they hoped... Sinn Féin haven't been entirely consistent. Am I allowed really. to interrupt? They hoped... Am I allowed to interrupt? Well, I was going to say I didn't interrupt you, but that's know, too cliched yeah. for this hour of the day. <laughs> okay, Go I ahead. Won't, no. Interrupt me, Jim. Okay, listen, we can all make arguments about what was said uh, previously about water charges. Like, you know, if people want to hear Mary Lou criticising uh, the Anti-Austerity Alliance for forcing people, encouraging them not to pay and then abandoning mm-hmm. them, Go to the journal's website for the 17th of October 2014. You know, people can make lots of criticisms about uh, decisions and well, statements I, made in the well, past. Now, can I interrupt you uh, just to no. clarify that point? Okay. It was my position and it remains my position that you don't tell people not to pay. We took that decision very, very consciously. That remains my position. Where I did have uh, a change, and let me point you out where I changed, was initially when I asked, would I pay? I said, yes, I think I'll pay. I have an income. I, I'm, I'm a tax compliant person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I reviewed that position and I did change my mind. And it, it's important to understand why. I represent, particularly in my area, a lot of older people who told me it's not that they wouldn't pay. They couldn't pay. They couldn't sleep with the notion of having a bill that they couldn't pay. And whether they are right or whether they are wrong, they take comfort from the fact that somebody like me would take a stance and say, well, you know what, what I'm not what paying What about Fianna Fáil's, you know, position as being and self-described, you know, the sensible um, common ground um, with Fine Gael on some issues when it's appropriate, moving the government in the direction you want to see it. What's wrong with water charges? Why can't Mary Lou's constituency she's talking about be... be be looked after by a system which takes account of means uh, more, more so than the previous system does. And why can't we pay for water? Having put all those meters in, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, you're you're well acquainted with the with with all the issues that went on around site serving the installation of meters in your mm-hmm. your previous career as a barrister. What was what was wrong with the basic concept of me paying my water for my water, which I did for two years, and I was quite happy to do, Jim. Did well, you pay for it? Of course, I did. Yeah, I pay bills that are due. Because it's the law, I pay for them. But your your argument I didn't. I- ignores the fact. Is there any other ones you didn't pay? <laughs> <laughs> no, I pay your, my bills. Your argument ignores the fact of what the government have done since 2012, since they introduced this scheme. It was a fiasco. The whole purpose of this was that they were going to set up Irish water, which would be off balance sheet, and you'd have an, have to pay the economic cost for water. That meant that people were going to be paying huge amounts of money on their water. Then nobody was certain as to what it was going to do. Then the government comes back and they do a U turn and they say, okay, there'll be a certain charge. The whole thing was a fiasco. Meanwhile, it corroded, and this is an important point, it corroded the middle ground in Irish politics. 
And that's a serious point that needs to be recognised. And that's why Fianna Fáil recognise that what the government have done has been the wrong approach and we need to move away from this. It was a mess. It was wrong. And if you look at the finances of it, if you look in 2015, 144 million was got in from water charges. 100 million is paid out in the water conservation grant. 44 million is paid out on interest charges and 25 million on administration. We're losing money on the So it's pure I, pragmatism from Fianna Fáil. I mean, when I say pragmatism, I mean it's actually it's, just not delivering can I, can anything. I, well, it's, it, it is, it, it, it is pragmat- pragmatic in terms of the amount of money it has brought in and also the uh, consequences that it has had in terms of the middle ground of Irish politics. It's also a problem of political structure within Fianna Fáil, where in uh, an awful lot of Fianna Fáil TDs represent rural constituencies where people have been paying for water for uh, a long time and think that people in Dublin should pay for their water as well. But the party needs to grow in constituencies in Dublin where water charges are vastly How do you square that? By flip-flopping around the place as they've been doing for the last number of weeks. Whereas Jim has set out the fiasco that was the policy, that's not actually the reason uh, and he misunderstands perhaps the fundamental reason why charging for domestic water is unacceptable. And two arguments have been consistently made. Firstly, that people pay for these things through general taxation. But secondly, once you commodify domestic water and you put a price on it, you ripen it up for the next logical step, which is privatisation. That's, that's the logic of the position. And if Jim had a listening ear to the tens of thousands of people who have repeatedly come out on the streets. That is the argument that has been made. Yes, the fiasco of Irish water incensed people. Why wouldn't it? Yes, the government made an absolute hash of it. But Fianna Fáil to suggest that they're against it just because the the government botched it perhaps shouldn't surprise because, of course, water charges were their idea in the first place. But that's to entirely miss the point. The point is a matter of double taxation, but also that deep and I I think well-founded fear that you attach uh, an economic price well, to it, well, you well, make I, it a I, commercial I get that point. good, I'm, I'm and that then it becomes privatised. Yeah. Okay, go but ahead. Why then, Mary Lou, did Sinn Féin and Lynn Boylan sign up to the report issued by the European Parliament on the 14th of July 2015, which says, at paragraph 92, that this is a resolution calling on member states to introduce, in accordance with the WHO guidelines, a pricing policy that respects people's right to a minimum quantity of water for living and cracks down on waste, providing for the application of a progressive charge that is proportional to the amount of water used. But that's a contradictory position you're advocating in Europe to the one you're advocating here today. Well, it, well it's not actually, and it, Lynn has dealt with that time out of which I, I suspect uh, you know. We understand fully that you have to comply with the European directives, but we do not see a necessity to, to be so compliant to introduce a charge for domestic water. Simple as that. We have legal advice uh, to that effect. I understood, if I had understood correctly, that your party and party leader have similarly uh, legal advice to to that uh, effect. So that's the issue. And that's why, for instance, an issue around uh, a referendum, um, you know, in ensuring public ownership of, if you like, the infrastructure, the water infrastructure is so important to people as well. So it's not just a short term issue. This is a matter of long-term concern. So Fianna Fáil imagine that scrapping means take it off the table for five years and then bring it back down again, that the public reaction would be any different in five years' time. I, I suspect that they're, they're calculating that very, very wrongly. What do you anticipate arising out of this process now of review and, and recommendations, Jim? For, it, it might, for example, include, yeah. in relation to Mary Lou's point, a referendum on keeping, okay. keeping Irish water we'll, in public we'll, ownership. Yeah, we'll, and a there, of but there'll be the commission that'll produce a report. It'll then go to an Oireachtas committee where that report will be debated. Presumably other options can be put forward by that committee as well. And then it'll come to the dull. It's not just the issue of uh, uh, water charges. There's issues in respect, as you say, maybe if they recommend a referendum, we're open-minded about that. You know, we don't believe in having pointless referendums, but if it's recommended and there's a logic to it, yeah, we look at that. There's also the issue about equality of treatment. Some people have paid, other people haven't. We'd be looking to see what the um, Commission has to say in respect to that, but it's imperative from Fianna Fáil's point of view that people are treated equally. And I think if the real test of Fianna Fáil's bona fides on the issue of abolition will be tested in the Dáil when we bring forward our motion. You'll have every opportunity to put, to put your... No, it's not one bit meaningless. It is. It doesn't it, get it, rid it of is, it. It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't it is laden with meaning because what, what it affords to members, uh, elected members of the Dáil is to actually make their mark and to vote in accordance with their stated position, which is for abolition, 
you, Jim, are going to have a chance to okay. do precisely that. And I, I await your support for our Okay, motion. can I just say in response to you that we put forward a mechanism through our talks with Fine Gael towards what we regarded as the objective of abolishing water charges. We have a clear path to do that through a commission, a Roxas Aquari, Vote the Doll, legislation being brought forward by a Fine Gael minister. Am I going to get my money back? You don't have... You should but do. Con, you, you Jim, don't, am I going to get my money I'll back? I'll come to that. I'll come to yeah, that. You don't, you don't have a plan. wouldn't get it back, though. Well, listen, our, I, I think your method was, was actually... Um, you extolled its virtues. I think it was actually all about just getting the issue off the table and pushing it down the pipe. That, that is the well, my, my, pardon, no, pardon I, the... I think, I think Mary Lou is, is probably correct about yeah. that, that it was uh, a means of just getting the political issue off the table. But it is in Sinn Féin's political interest to keep it on the table. But can I say this? If we, wanted this if we wanted to kick down the road, abolished. we would have dragged this thing out no, for years. No, you would have years. established a commission, have, sent it to an Oroctus committee, and a vote, circuitous The legislation route, will be there by March. Listen here to me. If, if the Dáil votes by a majority to abolish this charges, are you seriously suggesting that the government was... Well, they might do yeah. that, and then they'd have to go to Mary the people in, in, in an election. Our producer is nervously tapping his wristwatch here, so I'm going to ask you both one last question very quickly. I'll ask all three of you one last question very quickly. Um, this government looks a bit shaky to me. The issues around Fine Gael leadership, independence looking a bit wobbly. How long do you think this government's going to last? Period? NAMA, Apple, yeah. old politics, not new politics. Brexit. I don't know. I mean, I, I suspect that um, Fianna Fáil are minded to keep them in there um, through this budget and perhaps through the next one. But then, what do they say? Events. Uh, who's to say? But but uh, as things stand, Fianna Fáil are standing fair square with them and keeping Andy Kelly What's in your office. best get in the lifespan of this well, government? Well, there are two sure. threats to this government. The first threat is from Fine Gael backbenchers who want to get rid of Andy Kenny. That would be a destabilising event. The second threat is the fact that there are a number of independent TDs who are now ministers and they haven't realised yet that their political identity changes when they become a minister in cabinet. They haven't copped on to that. So that's where the threats lie. I think this will get to 2018. I, I agree with Jim that I think there's two principal threats uh, to it um, uh, but I, I, I differ as to what, what they are I think the water thing the water issue when it comes back as a commission will be a threat to, um, to this government around the same time I expect because that is a, a fundamental division between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael I, I'm, I know there was an significant wobbles uh, with the independence in recent weeks that was visible for everybody to see one of the great things for people like us Hugh is that they played out in the full glare of, uh, of publicity rather than behind closed doors I think in future we will see more of that thing happening behind or we won't see more of that happening because it will be happening behind closed doors but if you think about it um, uh, there are three parties to this three groups that are party to this government. Uh, there's the independents who are inside uh, government, there's Fianna Gael and there is Fianna Fáil which is half in and half out. All of those parties, all of those groups uh, uh, believe it to be in their interest that the government continues at least into the medium term. And while politicians don't always act in their own interests, normally when it comes to elections, um, uh, they do. But stuff but happens. I think water... Stuff does happen. Stuff, stuff mm. happens and, and water will happen. The other thing that Jim mentions is the possible change of leadership uh, in Fine Gael. I think that is potentially a terminally destabilising um, uh, event for, uh, for this government. Not so much in the actual change, but in the process that both precedes it and succeeds it when a, a new leader in Fine Gael needs to assert himself as, uh, as, uh, as leader of the party. So I think they will pass this budget as to whether they get around uh, to discussing another budget or not. I'm, I'm pretty 50-50. Watch this space. Thanks very much to Pat, Jim and Mary Lou for joining us today. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks very much indeed for listening. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at hlinehan or mail me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com. And I'm really interested to hear your correspondence, so do give us a shout and tell us what you think. Also, if you're a subscriber on iTunes, we'd be very grateful if you would rate us because it helps to get it out to a larger audience. But until the next time, from me, Hugh Linehan, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening. 